0: you know, we just need to use every math moment we have very carefully, we don't want to miss opportunities. And so when I think about if I'm an elementary teacher, and I have a block of time for math, and hopefully I have a block of time for science, you know, I can think about how I can use that collective time most meaningfully. And sometimes that should be doing things that are very authentic and contextual in nature. And a vehicle through which to do those sorts of very meaningful, rich inquiries is through STEAM. Because really, science, you know, the way we explore science and the way we make sense of science and what's happening in science is often through the mathematics. And so, so often, I think sometimes we might get stuck in thinking about just what happens in the mathematics block. But I think we have to think beyond that. So many schools now have or STEAM labs, but are we This is mathematics Sarah Bush, an associate professor of K-12
1: STEM education from the University of Central Florida. She's on the board of directors grade. for the National That's Council learning. of Teachers of Mathematics, and she's co-authored the book Step Into STEAM. We sat down with Sarah to get the inside scoop on what STEAM is, how it looks in real classrooms, why we should be considering this approach, and how we can get started. Hit it!
2: Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce from tapintoteenminds.com. And I'm John Orr from
1: mrorr-isageek.com. We are two math teachers who, together,
2: with you, the community of educators worldwide who want to build and deliver math lessons that spark engagement, fuel learning, and ignite teacher action. Are you ready for this jam-packed episode, John? Of course, of course I am. Well, hey, before we get there, did you know that we read every reflection left on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as each and every review left on iTunes? Just like this tweet from Michael Rubin on Twitter, where he said to check out at MakeMathMoments, at Mathlete Pierce and at Mr. Orr underscore geek. They're all about sparking curiosity and fueling sense-making. And that was in response to some tweets about people looking for interesting folks to follow in the
1: math space. If you're loving the podcast, be sure to give at MikeRubin84 a follow on Twitter.
2: Before we dive into the episode, we want to make sure you're aware of the math moments with Corwin Mathematics book giveaway. That's right, we'll be giving away 10 books from Corwin Mathematics including Sarah's book, Step Into Steam. Plus you'll receive special Corwin discounts and digital downloads just for entering the draw. You can get in on the giveaway by visiting makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway by Wednesday, July 31st, 2019. Are you listening to this after July 31st, 2019? No
1: sweat. We are always actively running giveaways. So check out makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway by the Wednesday, July 31st to get in on this giveaway. Or if you've already missed it, no worries. Check out that same link and learn about the current giveaway we have running. All right, so don't miss out. Dive in at MakeMathMoments.com forward slash giveaway. That's MakeMathMoments.com forward slash giveaway. Without further ado, here is our chat with Sarah Bush.
2: Hey there, Sarah. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. How are you doing over there on your end?
0: Well, hello. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me and I'm doing really great. It's summertime and I'm in Florida and life is
2: good. Beautiful. What part of Florida are you in?
0: I live in the Orlando, Florida area. So, central Florida, I'm about an hour from the beach if I want to go. So, it's pretty great.
2: Very cool. My parents actually have a snowbird place down in Port St. Lucie, which is a little southeast of you, I would think. And then, John, you've got in-laws down there.
1: Yeah, we make our way there every March
2: in uh, Lakeland,
1: which is uh, about an hour-ish from you, I would assume. We always kind of venture into Orlando for a little bit when we're there.
2: Spring training with the tigers. Yeah, yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. I have never seen... A baseball game there, even though we go every single year. Oh, you disappoint me. Yeah, I know I disappoint you, but uh, <laughs> I like sitting by the pool, watching the kids swim. We always also make our way over to St. Pete's Beach for a couple days, and I love the beach. So that's uh, that's my thing. Baseball, you know, is not my thing. Basketball, however, that's my thing. Nice, yeah. Sarah, can you fill us in a little bit about yourself just for our listeners and like what inspired you on to become a math educator and put you on this journey? Could you just fill us in a little bit about your background?
0: Sure. You know, when I think about really why I became a math educator, I kind of think back to my own time as a middle and high school student. And I think I probably really didn't know what many adults did in their careers. When I was in middle school, I got the idea that I actually wanted to be a school counselor. And I think I had that idea because people said I was good at helping and, you know, giving advice and things like that. And so I learned that the most often the path to becoming a school counselor was to first become a classroom teacher. And I loved math. And so I thought it would just make sense that on my way to becoming a counselor, I would just become a math teacher. And somewhere between middle school and the end of college, I kind of just decided to stick with teaching math. I really liked it.
2: Very cool. That's awesome. I actually have our quals. I don't know how it works down in Florida, but uh, here in Ontario you take some additional qualifications to become a guidance counselor, which would probably be a very similar role to what you described. And I thought that maybe that would be where I would be heading as well. And I, just like you, sort of fell in love with the math classroom. So really cool, really cool. I'm wondering, uh, do you mind sharing with the audience what is a memorable math moment. You know this is coming if you've heard any of our previous (laughs) episodes. What might be something you think about when you think about math class? What pops into your mind? Go ahead and share that with everybody out there.
0: I had really nice teachers when I was in school, but I think my most memorable math experiences really occurred outside of the math classroom. Neither of my parents were kind of, they weren't STEM professionals. But they were both, they are both very mathematically minded. And so throughout my childhood, at both my mom's house and at my dad's house, I was always encouraged to think mathematically. I think my mom told me once that I figured out how to read an analog clock before I was three years old. I was also obsessed with counting and number patterns. I remember before I would go to sleep at night as a little kid. My mom would tell me to count to help me fall asleep, but I would always make up these games by myself where I would challenge myself to you know count um, skip count or count to numbers really high and I remember one time telling my mom I had counted to about five thousand, although who knows if I did that correctly
2: well, if you were skip counting by thousands maybe, <laughs> well, maybe you, know, that's, you well
0: that's true I got there really fast that <laughs> was probably it was probably something clever like that. But then when I was about 10, I kind of had a new mathematical experience. My dad became the owner of a little kind of local gas station when I was about 10. And my sister and I started to go to work with him on lots of days in the summer. We'd wake up at 4 a.m., we would get ready, and we would go to work with him. And he was not playing around. We were there to work. And so every moment was really a learning opportunity. When I was about 11, I learned to run the cash register, but my dad would not let me press the button that would tell you how much change to give back <laughs> to the customer. So, oh, I love um, that, smart guy. Yes, and so, <laughs> for example, if someone's purchases totaled you know, $6.28 and they gave me a 20, I had to figure out the difference by counting up. So I'd have to grab 72 cents from the register you know, to make seven, And then three ones to make 10 and then 10 to make 20. And then I was required to count that back to the customer in that same fashion. And so that was really, I mean, I don't think other kids really had to do that. And then I really had kind of memorized every post-tax total for every pre-tax possibility. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, And then I also, the other thing I had to do all the time was I had to calculate markups and discounts on stock day. And so I would end up challenging myself to figure it out mentally and then just verify whether it was right in the cash register before I put the price tag on. But I was just constantly, you know, had these like mathematically minded challenges that were very focused on number sense. And so really, to me, it was my out of school mathematics moments that were empowering, meaningful, and like really served a purpose
2: right right I can definitely hear that and actually you're reminding me a lot of but going back to the counting before bed if you heard the Dan Finkel episode he had mentioned that that was sort of how he remembers himself growing up as yeah. that kid in the back of the you know backseat of the car and thinking about patterns and just kind of playing around with it and just thinking about all these we'll call them like built-in challenges that your dad had had you accustomed to doing yes. like those are the types of the things that we tend to try to provide parents with when we try to build that home school connection, right? Trying to give parents opportunities, hey, when you're cooking and, you know, you're going to be mixing, mm-hmm. you know, this much flour and this much sugar and, you know, to get the kids in there and just to challenge them. And let's not worry so much about whether they get it right or wrong or the speed or anything like that. Let's just get them familiar. And you reminded me of what I'm trying to do. I don't think I'm doing nearly as good a job as your dad was doing, but- <laughs> (laughs) with my daughter, I try to, at the end of every month, I try to get her to count up a certain sum of money. She gets, you know, her birthday money and she gets her little allowance each week for cleaning her room and so on and so forth. And I challenge her that every month she's got to count up piles of $20 and for every pile of $20 she has, I'll give her a dollar, you know, so kind of building in this idea of interest. And, you know, at first she used to think she had to like trade in the 20 for the one and she's like, I don't want to do it, you know, all those things, But, but just just kind of reminds me of what I'm trying to do for Talia. And hopefully when she looks back to her childhood, she has at least a couple of those stories like we just heard from you. So super cool.
0: Well, I love that you're doing that because those are really some of my fondest memories. You know, I remember the first time that my dad put me on the actual payroll and I got my first check and I thought, Oh my gosh, I have like a hundred dollars to spend. And, but I didn't because I was quickly told by my parents that, I could spend one-third on what I wanted. One-third had to buy my school clothes because since I was now, you know, a working woman, I had to buy my school clothes. And one-third had to go in savings. Yikes. And so I quickly learned how fast money really goes for adults, right? I didn't like it in the moment, but it was a great lesson.
2: I'm wondering what you had to do with the last penny. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure
0: I argued to keep that for what I wanted, but uh, I don't remember.
2: What, like
1: I was just thinking like, what a wonderful way to build that mental number sense, those mental calculations at such a young age. And I just reflect on myself and I didn't have that experience. I was the person that was good at math, but I was good at like book math. I was good at following the procedures in class. And I went on to be, you know, to do math at university. And, you know, I don't think... I developed good mental math skills for adding, subtracting, you know, multiplying, dividing until I was a math teacher. Like, and even it was years after I was a math teacher. So like, I was the kid in calculus still counting on my fingers when I had to subtract things or going right to my calculator. You know, I didn't have those mental skills. You know, always my dad would always be like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, this is what I feel like I have to do here to answer, you know, this simple maybe subtraction problem. And you know, it wasn't until years later where that I started to, to just do these simple adding up, like you suggested, in my head quicker and, you know, go to benchmarks to start to multiply or add. And, and I'm just reflecting on you as a teacher, knowing those skills early in your career and how you could help your students with those number sense skills early on. Whereas I never even thought to even suggest those to my students because I didn't even think mm. of them.
0: Well, that is interesting. You know, I think that, well, I think we all probably regret lots of things we did our first few years of teaching, yeah. Yeah. but you reminded me of a, a pivotal moment I had that was maybe during my second or third year of teaching. And I remember one day, it was in between class periods and, you know, I taught middle school, so all the kids were moving to the next class and it was crazy. And I remember I saw my principal in the hallway and he said something about, one of the students in my class, their mom or dad had called him and was basically saying how glad they were that their daughter was in my math class, because I made it so easy for her. And I know he meant that as a compliment. And I think what they meant partially was, you know, I explained it in a way, but then I made me realize that, oh, my gosh, I was helping way too much. And, you know, I don't want it to seem easy, right? At all. And we weren't thinking universally, or at least I wasn't, about terms like productive struggle and things like that. But I had this moment where I thought, ooh, that's not what I wanted to accomplish. And that, that was an important moment for me as a newer teacher.
2: That actually reminds me early in my career, I thought the name of the game of being a good teacher was to try to make it as easy as possible. And boy, was I wrong. Like I was able to help students feel successful, but I don't think they experience the same success that you just described where from your experience when you were younger and, you know, building that fluency and just that ability to take situations and kind of work with them. So I think we all tend to fall into that trap. And instead of really finding the beauty of the math and really finding the enjoyment in the struggle, we tend to sort of try to strip that struggle away. And while that might be helpful for you know inflating grades i don't know how helpful that is for the long run right and for students walking away feeling like they benefited other than just not feeling like they couldn't do the math so i mean there is some benefit there but i think aiming for that struggle is so huge hey math moment makers kyle here Head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. You know, Sarah, I think
1: if you know us, we could talk about this topic all night. I think we should switch gears right now. And we know you have some expertise in the area of STEAM. And as we are lucky enough to get our hands on your book, you co-wrote with Kristen Cook called Step Into STEAM. And we'd love to know more about it. I know I would. The term has always intrigued me. Can you fill us and our listeners in? What is STEAM?
0: Well, I mean, just as with STEM, we know what the letters and the acronym represent, but really there are various interpretations. My colleague, Kristen Cook, who you mentioned is the other author on the book, she is one of my dearest colleagues and she's a science educator. And we do this work together. She's my partner in crime and my dear friend. But our view of STEAM education is really a deeper, authentic dive into the mathematics and science content and practices with kind of meaningful and natural integration of engineering components, the arts and technology. You know, if we're thinking about mathematics, it's really about using mathematics to make sense of the world. It's kind of about positioning disciplinary core ideas, including, definitely including those in mathematics, to weigh options, make tough decisions, examine patterns, make predictions. STEAM should not be about grabbing a book on the shelf that has you know, hundreds of little 30-minute STEAM activities. It's definitely not about fluff and frills. STEAM should really be about taking your existing curriculum and standards and creatively weaving it together to create transformative learning experiences for students where they embark on solving problems in their school and their community and beyond to make the world a better place. STEAM should really be inspiring, empowering, and it's
2: hard work. So, I'm wondering if I'm sitting at home and I'm going, okay, so I've heard about STEAM and, you know, I'm liking what I'm hearing. Like, I really like this idea of weaving standards together. And one huge benefit there that if people aren't already having this epiphany at home, I hope that they'll hear it through this message is the idea that we're constantly, as teachers, feeling like we're stretched for time, like we don't have enough time to do everything. But what you're suggesting is that. Rather than doing this standard over here and this standard over there and committing like sections of time in the day, especially for our elementary friends who have their students all day long, you're saying that we can actually hit more than one bird with one stone. And we could actually do this by sort of building in a cross-curricular component. So I'm wondering, are you picturing your classroom day? And your book in particular focuses in on K-5, through but I'm sure that many of these ideas can apply in older grades. Are you suggesting that the blocks of the day look different? Like, is it kind of breaking down the walls between like it's math class now, it's science class now, it's you know art class now. Like what might that look like or sound like to you as you see it anyway?
0: You know, that's a really good question. I don't think there's a one size fits all answer. I think kind of with our work in many different schools, and especially if you're starting to think about middle and high schools where teachers are specialized instead of Usually more generalist. I don't think there's a one size fits all. I think that you have to do what makes sense. But what I think is important is the idea that really in today's world, while core instruction in mathematics is absolutely essential, it's probably not sufficient. The world itself is not siloed. So it's really that in my mind, in kind of the bigger group I work in, what we think about it as, we think about it as a vehicle for kind of a more humanistic and holistic approach to learning. Through STEAM, we can foster students who really become adults, who are passionate, have empathy for others, and are good citizens. It's really a way to get at the mathematics as well as science and other disciplines really deeply and meaningfully, while also fostering important attributes such as collaboration, communication, and creativity. So, I think if you're thinking more in an elementary setting where a teacher is working in maybe blocks of time, I think the key is just a little more flexibility and doing what makes sense. But you're absolutely right. It shouldn't be thought of as I got to do this whole extra thing. It should be thought of as kind of a shift in how to do what we already should be doing.
2: Yeah, I tend to agree with you as well. And, and I definitely do not have a huge amount of expertise in the steam. Area myself being that I came from secondary and in secondary, and I would love to see more of this. And we are shifting, we're seeing shifts in secondary as well, where we're trying to find ways where we're doing cross curricular things across departments. I would say it's still like the early goings, some of it's structural, right, in terms of how the scheduling and that you're moving from class to class and so on and so forth. So there's a little more flexibility in elementary. But the one thing that I wonder, and I I don't know if you have a thought on this, and you sort of alluded to it earlier is that, you know, we don't want to miss out on some of the mathematics. Like, we don't want to have people, let's say, if they are staying in blocks, maybe pulling in too much other things into math where now some of the math pieces go away. I'm wondering if it's like, you know, how do you bring out, like, as you're doing your math block, how do you bring out these other ideas? rather than it being like replacing it. And I think you sort of alluded to that. And I really like that approach that really it's not an add-on. It's about trying to, I'm thinking almost like an awareness of these other areas and how they all kind of interconnect, just like mathematics does. They interconnect, like all the concepts connect. And, you know, we can do this across subjects as well as sort of what I'm hearing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing I keep going back to is the idea that you know, we just need to use every math moment we have very carefully. We don't want to miss opportunities. And so when I think about if I'm an elementary teacher, and I have a block of time for math, and hopefully I have a block of time for science, you know, I can think about how I can use that collective time most meaningfully. And sometimes that should be doing things that are very authentic and contextual in nature. And a vehicle through which to do those sorts of very meaningful, rich inquiries is through STEAM. Because really, science, you know, the way we explore science and the way we make sense of science and what's happening in science is often through the mathematics. And so, so often, I think sometimes we might get stuck in thinking about just what happens in the mathematics block. But I think we have to think beyond that. So many schools now have STEM or STEAM labs, but are we missing mathematics learning opportunities in those because we're not fully embedded in that work? I would hate to see great conceptual learning happening in a math block and then students going to a STEM or STEAM lab and great learning happening, but math connections and opportunities are missed. So, you know, I think as a math ed community, we're the math ed experts collectively as a community. And so no one else is better equipped to do the math part of STEAM right. That's our job. And so we got to make sure that's happening.
1: It's so true because when I consult with science teachers in high school about what is being taught in grade nine math versus grade nine science, there's sometimes a disconnect on what that teacher is doing for the math content, what they need in science versus what we're doing in math class. And I'd love to see more of that overlap. And in my school, a couple of years ago, one thing that we did, I guess, for one year, which didn't continue just because of funding, was we have the thing called lesson study in our school where we co plan lessons together and one particular year we had cross you know cross curricular co-planning so we we had a science teacher a history teacher a geography teacher and math teacher all planning lessons for math and then all planning lessons for science it was it was quite eye opening it was the first experience that i had seeing that cross curricular what was going on in science versus what was math and it was it was great to collaborate on that level because i think it has to happen more because i don't think in our in ontario here our curriculum melds that way so it doesn't meld together in grade nine the two curriculums as nicely as i'd like to see in the future but definitely we'd want more of that going on in high school like it can be in elementary school for sure
0: Yeah, I agree. All the work we've done, when I think about it applying in middle and high school, you know, it just looks a little different because students go from class period to class period. But the fundamentals of how the planning and implementation would happen and how the disciplines interconnect is all the same. So I love that you had that experience. That sounds really cool.
2: It's interesting, too, because, you know, what I've noticed when I do have opportunities, like John's mentioned, to look at different subject areas and really start to compare and contrast the curriculum in, let's say, grade nine, where, you know, I look at science and math and you start to see how they do complement each other. But unfortunately you know, the documents are typically siloed into subject areas, right? And further so within the documents, oftentimes siloed by concept. And it makes it so difficult to see those connections on our, when we had Joe Bowler on, she had mentioned that, you know, when we write curriculum, we do it in a way where we silo it so that it's manageable for the teacher to consume. But by doing so, and by making it in these little bite-sized chunks, we sort of miss all of those connections. So you imagine if that's happening within one course like mathematics, how much more work and I guess how much more we have to pay attention when we look at different curriculums from different subject areas to see that there are those connections there. We just have to start opening our eyes to it.
0: I think that's a really interesting point. You know, that's part of the important work that has to be done when we implement STEAM is really thinking through and really allowing teachers a little more autonomy with what's being taught each day. I think when there's a little more flexibility, that's when some of the magic can happen.
1: This is fantastic. Let's dive a bit deeper on this. Imagine I'm a teacher and I just learned that STEAM represents science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And I'm wondering, what does this look like? Do you mind sharing like an example, like an in-class example, maybe one from your book, maybe one of your favorites, or even, you know, for us newbies, just learning about this for the first time?
0: So you'd like an example of like an actual inquiry in the math and science? Yeah, like like
1: what would it look like in a classroom? You can pick a grade level, like I'm just imagining, so that we can uh, get a picture of what this would look like in a real room.
0: So one of my favorite examples, which really happened, was at one of the local school districts, there was a kindergartner that arrived to school who was born without um, a lower arm and hand. And so the teacher approached a STEAM lab teacher at a neighboring school and asked if the STEAM lab teacher would like to engage their students in kind of an inquiry to develop a solution to the problem, which was that this kindergartner could not press Control-Alt-Delete to log on to the school computer. You know how desktops, they'll do the Control-Alt-Delete to do your login. And so anyways, the STEAM Lab teacher was like, sure, that's a great inquiry. You know, it's authentic. It's happening in our community. And so the STEAM Lab teacher approached a class of fourth grade students and his class of fourth grade students and said, here's what's happening in our community with this kindergartner and she needs our help would you all want to help design a solution? And the students were, I mean, so excited, right? Because naturally kids want to help. And so they embarked on a journey where they engaged, actually they engaged in the design thinking process, which is kind of like the engineering design. We use the design thinking in our work, which is based out of the D school at Stanford. And the design thinking begins with developing empathy For the person or situation of need. And so this teacher started by engaging the students in a field trip around the school to see if they could do everything they needed to do with only one arm. And they found that they couldn't do all kinds of stuff like open heavy doors, use certain faucets, you know, all kinds, you know, carry their lunch tray, all those sorts of things. And so the students became so passionate about solving this problem because they realized. You know how hard that must be. So anyways, they engaged in research on the skeletal system and muscular system. And then the steam lab teacher told the students that he told the students a girl's height, but did not tell them how long her other lower arm and hand was. So they had to use proportional reasoning to estimate how long her lower arm and hand would be because they knew they needed to design some tool that would be proportional to her body. And so they ended up using their height to arm ratio to figure out this kindergartners because they knew the kindergartner was smaller than they were as fourth graders. So they engaged in this great proportional reasoning. They did all kinds of stuff with measurement conversion because what they ended up doing was they decided they needed to create a 3D printed prosthetic. And in order to do that, they first made physical prototypes and then they created like a blueprint of something they would eventually use Tinkercad design software to then fabricate on the 3D printer. So they were working in inches and then they used Tinkercad, which was um, programmed to first show up in millimeters. And so they were engaged in all of this great mathematics about proportional reasoning and measurement conversion, and the size of units, and they were using math to make sense of this problem, and they had to get it right. You know, they had to develop something that was actually functional, and so they ended up, after engaging in all the science and math, and of course the engineering, and the arts component was the aesthetics and the design, because obviously they wanted to give this kindergartner something that looked good. You know, and then, of course, the technology with the 3D printer and the design software. And so anyways, they actually ended up after, you know, several prototypes ended up creating a, you know, a 3D printed lower arm and hand for the student. And it was just an amazing inquiry. And so that's one of my favorites to share because I think people can kind of visualize what was happening and the power of that. But when I think about a STEAM inquiry and what that looks like in general, you know, we always like to say students are engaged, but it's more than that. Students, when they're doing a transformative STEAM inquiry, they have this like laser focus because there's this complete buy-in, they're passionate, and they become really compelled to develop a solution. It looks like students having serious discussion in small groups about the math and science content practices. Kind of within the context of that authentic inquiry, you would see groups maybe asking the teacher for a mini conference. And then you would see the teacher or teachers have intentionally planned purposeful questions to push students thinking, but they aren't telling students what to do. And, you know, I think a big thing is it's about the process, not just the product or solution. Just like in mathematics tasks with a mathematics task, We need to make it about the whole process, right? Not just the answer. And the same is really true for STEAM. And when STEAM's done well, another teacher or adult should be able to walk into that classroom and ask students what concepts they're learning and how it relates to that context. And students should be able to answer the question using key ideas in math and science. And another thing is there's really this shared authority in the classroom And often the biggest challenge is getting students to leave at the end of class. I mean, it's true. They get so excited. But really, the most important thing I really want to say is it's something that should be for each and every student because STEAM is an opportunity, a golden opportunity for us to build off students' strengths and let students shine. And so each and every student should have access to that.
2: Wow, Sarah, there are so many big ideas to unpack there in what you just said. I was actually crossing my fingers on my end here, trying to remind myself, this is like one of my mom's tricks she used to do when she wanted to say something when people were talking, she would cross her fingers so she wouldn't forget. I've got all my fingers taken up here and I'm working on the toes. One of the big things that just sort of hit me near the end of what you were just sharing is just this idea of with students not working wanting to leave. I mean, how amazing is that? But then when we really unpack it and we start to think about purpose and we think about really trying to help students feel like they have a purpose in the world and through education what better way than to get kids passionate about something and through this inquiry that you just shared about you know in your book you called it the prosthetic inquiry and I actually had it tabbed in the book because you know I was going to ask you a question about it later and I'm so happy that you selected this one for an example because I thought it was so great and the piece that I noticed in a lot of these STEM activities was how often Often we can make connections to I said STEM, I should say STEAM activities, how often we make connections to the proportional reasoning that exists because it's everywhere, right? And like, I think about like in an art class, you know, and thinking about like just generally art forms and what is appealing. Like when you look at art that is appealing and, you know, the proportional nature and the scaling and all of these things that are going on, there's so much mathematics there that you can unpack. So what I heard from you is is that this steam idea is really trying to make connections across all of these essentially cross-disciplinary or cross-disciplinary areas and cross-curricular areas and I'm wondering to myself, some might be out there wondering like, okay, well, it sounds kind of like project-based learning. And, you know, I'm wondering, there's so many different ways and so many different definitions for ideas out there. Do you see a difference? And if so, like, are they similar or are they different to you? Or is, you know, maybe is there a slight nuance or, oh, I'm just wondering of your perspective. If you look at STEAM and project-based learning as maybe having some sort of intersection there.
0: I think they definitely have an intersection. I know in our work, we focus more on problem-based learning, which definitely has similarities with project-based learning. But really, our STEAM work is we really think of it as being grounded in both the design thinking framework and in problem-based learning. And, you know, problem-based learning is so foundationally grounded in really the entire process of working through an inquiry or problem. And I think that that's the key takeaway. So I think there's, you know, there's quite a bit of overlap with the two. We talk about it as STEAM, you know, just thinking about it from the content lens, right? Schools approach things through a content lens. And so we think about STEAM as really a way to deeper dive into the mathematics and science content practices in a authentic interdisciplinary way.
2: Hey there, math moment makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like, I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years?
1: I am now thinking, you know, I'm going to go back to the, on along the lines of I'm that new teacher, because I think you've given me a good snapshot of what this looks like in a classroom or what can it look like in a classroom. But now I'm wondering, like, I want to dive in. What are some first steps? Like you've got some teachers who are like, I want to try, but I'm not sure how much work this is going to be. And, and I'd love to be like, what's a quick win? Like, what's a quick thing you can tell a teacher to be like, try this. This is your gateway into learning more. Cause we know that it's a tunnel, right? You know, it's like, what can we start? And then when they start this thing or this tip, it leads into so many other things and then they're off. So what would be, in your opinion, like what is that first step to getting a teacher to learn more about this and how they can scratch the surface to kind of like dig deeper to make this happen in their classroom?
0: You know, I think that's a question that we get asked a lot because anytime you embark on something new, it can be a little intimidating. My best advice would be to just get started. Plan and implement one STEAM inquiry. Just start. We've developed some tools like checklists and brainstorming prompts, things like that, that can really help to get the conversation started. And the cool thing about STEAM is it naturally helps you extend beyond the walls of your own classroom. So really it's an opportunity to enjoy the collaboration. And, you know, the other thing you just have to be okay with is that it's impossible to know and predict that everything that will happen during STEAM instruction. So what you just got to do is intentionally plan and get comfortable not knowing all the answers. It's really an opportunity for us as teachers to model lifelong learning with our students. But it's just about getting started. I think that when you're used to doing things a certain way, and it's safe and comfortable, you know, it can be intimidating. So don't think about it as overhauling everything. Just try one. I um, And try something that's authentic to your context, you know something that's happening in your school or community, those make the best STEAM inquiries.
2: That's essentially the mantra John and I typically use is, you know what, just get started. And let's be honest, the result might not always be perfect the first time, but until you do it that first time, you know, it's really difficult to start to gain some momentum because if you really wait to plan it and make I mean, obviously you're going to plan ahead of time, but to plan until you feel it's perfect, you're never going to have that opportunity. I heard this phrase the other day and it was like, sometimes
1: we want A plus work all the time and A plus work and often case doesn't actually get done. It's like B minus work. It's good enough. I want to, get in there and try it. And then I'll work out the kinks later and roll with the punches and learn as I go. That's what actually gets done. That's what makes a difference in kids' lives is kind of like that B minus work that you're going to go. And then yeah, you work towards improving. And that's kind of the teaching role is to get in there and try something and try something new and see how that goes and then make adjustments. That's what you're doing with your students. Anyway, it's like, let's see how this Fits for this student. And oh, that lesson didn't, or that technique didn't jive with that student's understanding of what they were doing. Let's try something else. Like this is something we do on a regular basis anyway. So, yeah, getting started just jumping in is a great tip.
2: Well, you know, Sarah, I want to thank you as we're getting close to the end here and for those who are listening and thinking about just getting started, I found that the book that both you and Kristen Cook had co-wrote together Step Into STEAM, which is kind of focused in on grades K through 5. I found that that really helped me gain a perspective of what that could look like in my classroom. So, I want to thank you on behalf of the math community for that and We're wondering, before we let you go, are there any projects that you're currently working on that you'd like to share with the folks listening at home?
0: You know, currently, we're really focused on getting others involved in this work, which includes current and former grad students, many of which are current teachers, other faculty members and so forth, and also helping some of them figure out their own emphasis in this work that ties into their passion. We, of course, are still learning ourselves. We have so much to learn. We've been doing the STEAM work for, I would say, about seven years, but we're still learning. We have so much to learn. And so we're continuing to grow our partnerships with schools, as well as with educators and informal learning contexts and so forth. So we're just excited to keep working with, you know, working with people in STEAM and talking about it and learning more ourselves.
1: We are definitely going to put, I think, a link to your book in the show notes. And Sarah, is there anywhere the people listening right now can connect with you further, like social media? Is there, you know, do we have a webpage that you want to give out right now to the people listening? Where can uh, people find more about you? Sure.
0: And they can find me on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is at Sarah B. Bush, S-A-R-A-H, B as in boy, and then B-U-S-H.
2: Awesome, awesome. Well, listen, Sarah, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us and the Making Math Moments That Matter community. We've been inspired by this conversation. We know that the listeners at home are going to be eager to dive, or should I say step into STEAM a little bit further. Thanks so much for hanging out with us and hopefully we'll be able to circle back with you in a little while to see where you are in your own STEAM journey.
0: That would be great. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking with both of you.
2: Thanks so much, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Have a great night. We want to thank Sarah again for spending some time with us and sharing her insights with both John and I and you, the Making Math Moments That Matter community. If you haven't checked out Sarah's book, Step Into STEAM Yet, what are you waiting for?
1: Also, Sarah's book is actually one of the books we are giving away in the Corwin Mathematics Summer Book Giveaway. So get your name in on at
2: makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway. As always, how will you reflect on what you've heard from this episode? Have you written ideas down, drawn a sketch note, sent out a tweet? called a colleague, be sure to engage in some form of reflection to ensure that this learning sticks. In particular, we're
1: going to challenge you to reflect by sharing your biggest takeaway on Instagram.
2: Be sure to tag us at Moments in your reflection. And don't forget about the Math Moments with Corwin Mathematics book giveaway. That's right. We're giving away those 10 books from Corwin Mathematics, including Sarah's book, Step Into Steam. Plus, you'll receive special Corwin discounts and digital downloads just for entering the draw. So remember, you've got until Wednesday, July 31st, 2019 to get in at makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway. And if you're
1: listening after July 31st, don't worry about it. Hit up that link, makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway and check out the new giveaway we have running there. Don't miss out. Dive in at makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash giveaway. In order to ensure you don't miss out on new episodes as they come out each Monday morning, be sure to subscribe on iTunes
2: or your favorite podcast platform. And also, if you're liking what you're hearing, do us a huge favor and share this podcast with a colleague and help us reach a wider audience by leaving us a review on iTunes. Remember, we read each and every review and we want to thank the over 25 reviews that we see on the Canadian iTunes store, plus the many in the other country iTunes stores.
1: Show notes and links to resources from this episode can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 34. Again, that is makemathmoments.com forward slash episode
2: 34. Well, until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And high
1: fives for you.